This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 17 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Express eventing and what's new with the vet. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. We bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop cause it's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. This is Glenn the Geek from Lexington, Kentucky. And this is Jackie B. from Canton, Ohio. And this is the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Hi, Jackie. Hey, Glenn. Welcome back. You Actually, Jackie is here today as my co-host because Helena couldn't make it this week, and Jackie was kind enough on very short notice to agree to join us. And for those of you that don't remember, Jackie was with us before. I forget which episode it was, but it was many episodes ago. She does the most popular independent blog in America for horses, and that's regardinghorses.com. So you, you're laughing at that. You are. I am. I'm already on here, Glenn. You don't have to butter me up. <laughs> no, but it's true. You do do one of the most popular uh, horse blogs. And oh, it's well, thanks. Very well done. <laughs> so we appreciate you having you back. Uh, this is going to be a fun show today. We, we're uh, excited to have an interview later with Dr. Katie Garrett, who's one of the leading uh doctors over at the equine hospital root and riddle here in lexington kentucky and she's here to talk to us about some of the changes that have occurred in veterinary medicine and a little bit about root and riddle being the sponsor or the sponsor veterinarian the lead veterinarians for the 2010 world equestrian Games. so we're excited to talk to her uh so how are you doing anyway jackie hey i'm great um my blog's been getting a little bit of the back burner lately because I got a real live horse to play with. Three oh, you've got ago. a horse since we talked last, I haven't did. you? Yeah, I did. I did. So it's very exciting to be back and get a little bit more airtime this time. Cause so, so tell us I about your horse. Well, he kind of dropped into my lap unexpectedly. I'd planned to get a horse, you know, maybe in two or three years. Um, and I just kind of had the perfect horse in the perfect situation. Um, come up all at the same time. His name is Ace. He's an eight-year-old thoroughbred. He never did race, um, was bred to race, um, and has mostly spent his life standing in a pasture. So he's very, very smart. He's willing for the most part, but he likes to challenge me from time to time. So we're having a lot of fun and learning a whole lot together and from each other. Was he real green? Yeah, yeah, pretty green. Um, He's very laid back. He wasn't worried about anything I asked him to do. He just didn't really know what it meant when I squeezed my legs or, you know, Pulled asked him to do or... different things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he just he just didn't really know what to do, but he's very relaxed and very willing to just figure it out. Um, and he's learning really quickly. So now your, your non-horsey horse husband knows what it's really like to have a horse wife. He does. He does. But it's something that we actually talked about before we got married, and so he, he's fully Oh, you gave aware. him the warning? Don't ever say it's me or the horse? 
Well, yeah, this is kind of funny. A couple weeks ago, we were going through some books, and we had an old Preparing for Marriage book that we had to do as a premarital oh, counseling oh, really? thing. <laughs> and there was a section in there that we had to fill out about our hobbies and, um, you know, what hobbies we had that were separate from each other and how much time we would spend them. And he read it to me, and it said that I was going to do horses four or five days a week. Um, and that's what I wrote, you know, four years ago before we got married, and that's exactly what's happening now. And what was his? Um, well, let's see. He does video games, and he's into sports, and he plays guitar. Oh, so he has enough of his other oh, stuff, yeah. too, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he's, well, no he wonder he leaves you alone, me. because he wants to do his stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> it, where I see it's worse, the worst, is when the horse husband, being one, I know from experience, when the horse husband doesn't have any of his own activities. Yeah. That's yeah. when the marriage is in trouble. Actually, we're hoping in January before uh, before Valentine's Day to do a show on just horse husbands. So oh, we're hoping to do the horse great. husband show. <laughs> get oh, a, that's awesome. Get a couple of them on here. Go. No women on that show. Uh -huh. Just horse husbands. There you uh, go. Oh, just... that'll be fun. <laughs> so I don't know. There it could be fun. interesting. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, that's great. I'm glad. Now, you started a blog for your horse, too, didn't you? I did. I, I started a separate section um, of the Regarding Horses blog. It's ace.regardinghorses.com. Um, simply because with all of the Olympic coverage I did, my main Regarding Horses blog kind of evolved and was targeting a specific audience. And and I wasn't convinced that would be the audience that would want to read about my personal journey with Ace. Um, and so I decided to kind of run those two separately. And I do have a lot of crossover. Um, um, but the Ace blog gets a lot more of my horse blogger friends reading it. And I get a lot more just people who are searching for horse information and whatever on the main blog. Okay, great. Well, that's super. And you know what? We appreciate you've been uh, putting plugs in for the 2010 radio show and for Stable Scoop. And we appreciate that yeah. on your blog as well. Yeah. Well, it's great information. It's great to be able to have that to share with people. Good. And, and I will just remind everybody, it's at regardinghorses.com, just like it's spelled, nothing weird. And uh, I see you did a facelift uh, today because it wasn't that way yesterday. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It's got a new look. You must have been busy this morning. <laughs> yeah, I was working on that yesterday and today. It wasn't, wasn't too bad, but it just needed to be a little bit more flexible. Well, it looks good. Well, thanks. All right. We want to remind everybody not to forget that we still have the holiday giveaways going on at StableScoop.com. Just go on over there to StableScoop.com and click on the banner up in the right, upper right-hand corner. Actually, there's two banners. Rods and Equestrian Collections were kind enough to uh, do shows with us a couple weeks ago on gift ideas for the holidays. And they were also kind enough to give us a whole bunch of stuff to give away. And there's actually hundreds of dollars worth of stuff. So if you haven't registered yet, go over to StableScoop.com. You only have one week until the 14th of December. So go over there and register, and you might be a lucky winner of some of those great gifts for Christmas time. And as I said, we appreciated them doing that and, and for all their support. Also, I wanted to mention that the 2010 radio show this week's episode is on the show jumping phase. And we had, uh, we had Sally Ike on, who is the director of the show jumping for the United States Equestrian Federation. So she clears up. Actually, show jumping is the most popular phase 
our most popular horse sport in the Olympics and at the World Equestrian Games. But it also is the most confusing. The way they do it over several nights and the weird scoring and qualifying and all that stuff is very confusing. So she tries to clear it up a little bit for us, and I think she did a pretty good job. So if you want to learn more about that, head over to 2010radioshow.com. Um, and there's something else I want to talk to you about on the subject, uh, Jackie, of, two, of the WEG games, of the World Equestrian Games coming up. Yesterday, they released, I guess every World Equestrian Games has these little quirky things they do, and they released the official painting. Did you get a chance to see it? I did. Okay, so it was done by Leroy Neiman, who who is a very famous, would you say, impressionist? Yeah. An impressionist yeah. painter that does mostly sports. Um, all different kinds of sports. He's done some racing things before. He's done some horse things before. But he did this painting, and it was released and unveiled yesterday, actually, over at the horse park. I didn't make that one. But uh, the, the, on your site, I noticed that regarding horses, you have it up there, and I also have it over at the 2010 radio show, and we'll put it in the show notes for, for Stable Scoop also. What's your opinion of it? I love it. Do you? I do. I love it. I love the colors. I love the style. I love the way he did the horses. A um, little bit abstract, and, and I've always kind of enjoyed abstract horse artwork, and I love color, and I love that it's got all the different disciplines, and well, and I love show jumping. It's my favorite. Oh, is so it? I like that it's the biggest picture on there. <laughs> well, you'll have to listen to this week's show for sure. I, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, well, this is definitely shows that show jumping is the most popular because it's the highlight of this painting. It is, it is it very is. colorful. I'll give you that. I didn't like it. Ah, go ahead. I didn't like it. You know, I'm not much for impressionist painters, so uh. I have to qualify there. Um, I just thought it was weird. But yeah. it is very colorful. I can see why you probably like it. Yeah. But I just thought it was weird. I, I'll probably be the only one, and I'm probably going to get tons of hate mail now. I've um, been sitting here trying to figure out which discipline is which on here, because we've got two dressage riders, and obviously one of them must be for eventing. So I'm a tad disappointed that it wasn't something cross-country-ish representing the eventing. Um and I can't yeah, figure out yeah, why they picked s- the flags they picked. I mean, because last yeah, time there I were like 18 countries, so, so what's yeah. up with that? Yeah, they're expecting maybe up to 30 countries, and yeah. they have actually one, two, three, six of them on here. I, I don't know. Yeah, couldn't uh, figure that out. I couldn't either. I, you know, there's a reason for it, and I'm actually going to – I know the people, obviously, over at uh, the yeah. World Equestrian Games in that I do the show – I'm going to write to him and ask him about the flag thing because I was yeah. kind of confused about that. Well, my thought was potentially they might have been the countries that have hosted the World Equestrian Games. Oh, you know, that's a possibility. Because that's is, is probably Germany about on there? the right numbers. Is that Germany? The Which one's Ger- mm-hmm. what do you mean Germany? That was the last one. Um, is it the, the black, red, and yellow one? Yeah, it might be. So you know what? I, think Germany I bet you you're right one. about that. That would make sense because this started in 90, and that would make sense. Yeah. So there would be uh, around six of them probably. Yep, uh, that's what I was guessing. Yeah, well, that's a good guess. I'm impressed. I'll, I'll confirm that, though. We'll get confirmation of that. Everybody should check it out. Actually, they're going to do, do a complete line of merchandise uh, from posters to prints to postcards, uh, note cards, and all kinds of other stuff to, uh, to highlight this painting and apparently there's going to be some commemorative limited edition signed mm-hmm. by neiman so those are going to run i think from around 250 bucks but you can get postcards for as little as three three dollars and fifty cents 
Um, so check those out. Uh, they'll be sold at the, you can go to two places to get the stuff, and that's at feigames2010.org. That's the official website. Or you can go to coboltartworks.com. That's C-O-B-A-L-T artworks.com. Either place you can, you can find that and, and check it out. See what all the, different, all the different stuff you can buy for Christmas. Let's chat a minute about iTunes, Jackie. There, I've gotten some emails recently about how to subscribe through iTunes and how to get the shows, the 2010 radio show and the Stable Scoop radio show through iTunes. Well, what you do is, for, do you subscribe through iTunes? Yes. Okay, so you'll, you'll, you'll understand. You'll be able to help me out here. What you do is you go to our website at stablescoop.com or the 2010radioshow.com, and on the left-hand border, you're mm-hmm. going to see an iTunes logo, an iTunes button that says subscribe. What you'll do – now, the first thing to know is <clears> – excuse me. You have to have iTunes actually downloaded onto your computer. <clears throat> so if you don't have iTunes already – Go search in Google for iTunes download and download the iTunes client. Now, it obviously helps if you have iTunes to have an iPod that you can connect to iTunes and get it. What it will do is automatically sync to your iPod and download everything you've put into iTunes onto your iPod, your MP3 player. So that would be probably the first thing. But you can just have iTunes and have it set up on your computer so it will automatically download the shows. And you can play it right from iTunes. A lot of people aren't aware of that. So I wanted to mention that as well. So download iTunes. That would be the first thing if you don't already have it. Once you have iTunes downloaded, any podcast like ours will have an iTunes button on their website. You just click that button, and what it will do is open your iTunes player. And it opens it to our page, our podcast page within iTunes. You'll see our logo there, and you'll see a little description of the show. And on that page, you'll see a subscribe button. You just click that subscribe button, and it will automatically subscribe you to all of our shows. So what will happen is when we post a show... The next time you open iTunes, it should download the show. It should do it automatically. However, have you ever had a problem where it doesn't automatically download the shows? Yeah, every once in a while it gets a little sticky, and I know it's a Monday or a Friday, so there's a new one there. Um, And I've just been right-clicking on the name of the show, so where it says... Uh, Stable Scoop Radio Show, Mm -hmm. I'll just right-click on it and hit Update Podcast, and it'll go pull it out for me. That's true. And at the bottom of iTunes, there's also, if you go to the podcast section, that's where you'll see our shows. After you subscribe, you'll see our shows at the podcast section. When you go there to the pod, you click on podcast there on the left link, when in iTunes, you will actually see a refresh button at the bottom right-hand corner. If you hit refresh, it will update all of your podcasts that you've subscribed to at once. So it will make sure that you have the most current episodes that it, if, if it missed automatically downloading, that will do them all at once. You don't even have to do them individually. So that's how you get it. And then once you plug in your iPod, it opens up iTunes and it sets it up in there. And you will automatically get our shows downloaded to your iPod. And on an iPod, there's actually newer iPods actually have a podcast section. And you'll see our shows in the podcast section. You'll see our little logo in there and you can decide which episode you want to listen to. 
And that's the other thing. Don't forget, you can listen to back episodes. You can do that right on our website. Just go to whichever episode you want to listen to, and the play buttons are right there. You can listen to back episodes of podcasts anytime. That's what makes them so much fun and so much better than live radio, because if you miss a live radio show, you've missed it. Uh, so, so with podcasts, you can listen anytime you want to. It's a great way to do it. And you can get the old podcast through iTunes, too. When you subscribe, it's going to pull up only the new ones after that. But there will be a little button in there that says Get or Get All, and it will download all the old ones for you, too. Great. And there's, there is a few people, not many, but, but there's a few people in the world who have Zunes, Microsoft Zune players. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Not, not too many in the world, <laughs> probably not too many in the horse world. But we also are on Zune's uh, podcast section now. So it works much the same way. If you have a Zune player, I'm sure you've figured that out by now. And you, it, we're on their Zune store, so you can find us on there and subscribe through Zune as well. So we just don't we don't have those buttons, the Zoom buttons on the websites yet. That'll happen this week yet. So we are officially on the Zoom store now, too. So that's good. I hope that helps the people who are writing in with questions about how to subscribe through iTunes. All right. Let's take a look now, or let's talk about one of the sad stories that happened this week, actually a couple days ago, that I think we do need to talk about, and, and I want to get your opinion about this. Mary King actually lost her Olympic horse last week in what's called an express event, and we'll go over what that is in a minute. Uh, Call Again Cavalier had to be put down after a fall in, in the, in, I think it was in England, right? Yeah, uh, I sure it was Wales. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and basically had, broke a leg, broke femur, after a fall at a jump and had to be put down. And it was during the cross-country phase of this event but we'll go over that because a lot of people, I think, were confused. They heard that it was during an event that the horse had to be put down, but they, I don't think, I, there's a lot of people out there, if you're not an eventer, who don't understand what this express eventing is. So we'll go over that. But anyway, she was actually in second place after dressage and had a good chance of winning the thing and ended up uh, in this jump, number 12, I believe it was. Uh, did you watch the video? I did. And we... We, I've debated whether I was going to put the video in the show notes so everybody could go watch it. And then he decided to put it in there. It's your choice whether you want to watch this video. It actually shows her doing the whole section and, and all the jumps leading up to it and then what happened there. So you can make your own judgments by watching that. I was on the Chronicle forums this morning. Of course, this has lit up the eventing section, as you can imagine. Uh, and oh, pe- yeah. people on both sides of, of the subject. Well, what makes it so interesting is that this wasn't a typical event. This is what's called an express event, and it was fairly new. I think they just started these last year. What it is is it's an event that's crammed into four hours of competition, and it's all done indoors. The cross country and everything is done indoors. And what they do is they do it. It's interesting. They do a four minute. First, they do a four minute freestyle dressage routine to music, which I thought was kind of cool because that's not something that event riders are used to. <laughs> they, they don't do freestyle. Yeah. Right. So I thought that would be kind of cool. And that hasn't been done before. So that added a new element to it. Um, and then in the same stadium, so what they were trying to do by doing this express eventing is get a bunch of people into a stadium where they could watch an entire event all in four hours rather than it taking three days like it normally does. So the dressage is then followed by a timed show jumping round where they have jumps set up. 
in, in this stadium. And then immediately when the show jumping is done, the riders hop off their horses and do what's called a pit stop. And they change out of their show jumping clothes into cross-country clothes, their vests and their pennies, and they change into their cross-country hat and and that kind of thing. They actually call it a cross-country kit. And they do it. I I don't know. In watching that, the first time I've seen it, it looked like she was trying to do it very fast. I don't know if that part's timed or not. But didn't it look like that way? It did. Yeah. So then... Maybe somebody could write to us and and let us know what what the story is on that changeover. I don't know. But then she immediately gets back on the horse, and they have cross-country-type jumps set up in the stadium around around the stadium jumps. So then they go do a complete cross-country course inside the stadium, but it's bigger jumps. It's tables. It's water obstacles. It's just bigger cross-country-looking-type jumps. And... They do that immediately after the show jumping. So so it's all in this short period of time. And what happened was she was on the 12th jump, which was, an, uh, which was uh, if I remember right, it was a combination, right? Yeah. yeah. It was a combination. It was kind of an angled triangular jump. And she ended up, I think she messed up a little bit from what I could tell on the second jump. She cleared the first one fine, but the second one, she ended up going on the wide part of the jump, and it just looked like the horse wasn't together and got its legs caught on the top of the jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they went over, and and, and the inevitable there happened. Um, now, that was the only horse that was hurt. However, I must say that that out of 19 riders, six finished. And wow. these were the best of the best. These were good riders. This wasn't, you know, these were people like uh, Philip Dutton and Buck Davidson. Oh, wow. Um, you know, these were top. Clayton Fredericks was there. William Fox Pitt. Mark Todd. Uh, we're all competing in this thing. And most of them were eliminated during, well, most of them were, there were only two, that, three that were eliminated during show jumping. And then the most were eliminated then during the cross-country phase of it. And three of them were eliminated for refusals. Actually, four of them were eliminated for refusals. Several of them were eliminated for error, of course, which I could see. You have to remember a lot of jumps doing these two back-to-back. Mm-hmm. And I thought about my wife wasn't... Oh, she's going to kill me for saying this. She wasn't very good at remembering the courses <laughs> when Aww. she was eventing. So I can see why some of the eventers had this problem. And then there were one, two that actually had falls. So the falls, there weren't as many as refusals and, and that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about express eventing? Oh, wow. That makes a lot more sense, you know, because I watched the video without really knowing what was going on. And so I didn't realize that it was a show jumping and that she was changing. I, I knew she was changing new eventing clothes, but, you know, immediately in a cross country. And as I was watching, Colligan Cavalier looked really good to start. He had all kinds of energy. They were doing really well. Um but then those last few jumps, it just looked like he kind of ran out of gas. It did. Um, it, yeah, it, it, did. it just very, very abruptly, actually, just kind of ran out of gas. And over that second jump, too, um, he got his legs caught. But the other thing I noticed is that he couldn't get his head down to round over the jump. Um, and so he wasn't able to get that good jumping form to allow himself to get over either. Right, right. I don't know how I feel about this. It was interesting reading the forums. There's a lot of people going, oh, it's eventing light, and, you know, um, why are they doing it? Don't see any point to it. I can see the – and yeah. that it's just a way for rich people to make more money. Yeah. Uh, you know, I 
I can actually see all of those arguments. I kind of, you know, I was kind of excited about it at first. Obviously, there's a problem with the difficulty. They're going to have to address that issue. I mean, if you've got the best riders in the world and you've got only six out of 19 finishing, there's a problem with the difficulty. Yeah, and that's that's a a marathon for these horses. You know, when they're used to doing one event over over a three or four day period to do everything within four hours. Now, granted, they're shortened courses from what they'd normally be doing, but that's asking a lot of them mentally and physically. Well, and, and it's something they're not training for necessarily. That's right. And they're also used to having much bigger strides and, you know, mm-hmm. just not not having to deal with the hunter jumpers are used to dealing with the shorter strides and the shorter courses and that yeah. kind of thing. Whereas the eventing horses just aren't used yeah. to dealing with that. Gallop, 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 jump, gallop, 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 jump. And We'll see what happens here. I don't know what's going to happen. I kind of think they're going to take some serious flack for this. And like eventing, didn't have enough flack to begin with. I know. And I can't see it catching on. There were a lot of eventers on the forum just saying that they thought it was a really dumb sport. And that could be because they're used to doing their sport. And maybe it's a sport not for eventers, but for a whole new group of riders. Exactly. You're not are taking, preparing for right, that and focusing on that. You are training specifically for that with horses mm-hmm. that are used to that. Exactly. Um, you know, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see whether it survives. It was. It was. It's very sad for for Mary. That obviously puts her out of contention for the 2010 games with this horse. And I, you know, I'm sure she has others in the wings. But I know she was looking forward to it. And we should mention that the horse was a 16 year old Bay Gelting, uh, who she actually won a team bronze on excuse me, in, in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So that was less than four months ago. Yeah. And she did a 2007, she did a European championship uh, individual silver on this horse as well. So I'm sure she was looking forward to 2010. Very sad thing. And we give our best to Mary, who we actually have talked to before on, on one of our shows. So very nice lady. All right, we're going to break for a commercial and then we'll be right back with Dr. Garrett from the uh, Root and Riddle Equine Hospital. Well, the holidays are right around the corner and you're running out of time to order your sign from EasySignsOnline.com. If you're looking for a great gift uh, this holiday season, something that's unique, you can take a look at EasySignsOnline.com for anything from a stall nameplate to spending thousands of dollars on an entrance sign for your farm, EasySignsOnline.com is the place. They are the leader in quality and price and farm signs in the United States, and their website makes it easy for you to order right online. They ha- their artists will then take your order and make you design you a beautiful sign. They'll send you the design. You can approve it and tweak it and uh, go from there. They have some great stocking stuffers this year with equestrian car stickers and nameplates for your stalls and that kind of thing. You can find them at EZSignsOnline.com. That's the letters EZ, SignsOnline.com. Or call them at 800-640-8180. You only have about a week left to order that sign for Christmas, so get your order in now. And we thank EZSignsOnline.com for their support of the Stable Scoop radio show. We couldn't do it without them. We are excited to have on with us today Dr. Katie Garrett from one of the leading equine hospitals in the country today. She is the imaging specialist at the hospital. Hi, Dr. Garrett. Hi, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How about you? Pretty good. Thanks so much for coming on today. First, could you tell us just a little bit about Rude and Riddle? I know you've got a whole lot of doctors there, 55 veterinarians and a staff of over 200. 
Yeah, it's, it's a pretty big clinic. Um, the clinic was originally founded as an ambulatory practice with two doctors, Dr. Rood and Dr. Riddle, funnily enough. And from there, they gradually expanded the ambulatory practice and then built a hospital in 1986 and hired a surgeon, Dr. Emberton, at that time. And since then, it's essentially been growing gradually um, by leaps and spurts. So now we have an ambulatory section of the practice that provides farms, farm call service to farms around the area um, from everything from routine vaccinations to pre-purchase examinations to thoroughbred sales work to breeding soundness exams and, and breeding management. And then we also have a hospital with, I think, over 150 stalls. So in the hospital, we do everything from soft tissue surgery to orthopedic surgery to uh, managing intensive medicine cases, diarrhea, uh, neurologic cases, and have all sorts of advanced diagnostic imaging modalities as well. Um, obviously, in this, we're, we're, you're in Lexington, Kentucky, so mm-hmm. uh, I assume most of the clientele is thoroughbred-related? Um, a lot of our clientele, especially the ambulatory side of things, are thoroughbred farms. However, there are many, many other breeds in Kentucky. For example, we see a lot of quarter horses, a lot of gated horses, um, a lot of ponies. So not everything is a racing thoroughbred. We see pleasure horses, show horses, work horses, pretty much anything from a tiny little miniature horse to a great big Belgian used for pulling. Okay, so you get you get to see a little bit of everything. That's kind of cool. It, it uh, is kind of cool. That breaks up the monotony for you. Uh, <laughs> it never is monotonous here, ever. <laughs> no, I can imagine not. It's a huge place. I wanted to mention, too, that uh, people can check out your website. You have one of the best uh, veterinary websites as well. Some veterinary hospitals have crappy websites. But, well, uh, I will pass that on. No, it's good. <laughs> it's it's Rude and Riddle. That's R-O-O-D and Riddle, R-I-D-D-L-E.com, if people want to check it out. and. It is amazing when you go to Rudin Riddle's website and you look at the staff, and usually when you go to veterinary websites, you see two or three or four doctors, and there's 55 listed there. Yes. It, it is amazing. Well, you do it all. We're, we're, we're also really lucky to have wonderful technical staff, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we probably wouldn't be able to do what all of us do without our technicians and support staff. When you have quite a uh, training program for interns and stuff too, right? Mm-hmm. We do. We have this year, let's see, we have 11 interns in the hospital and five interns in the ambulatory program, as well as a medicine, an, an internal medicine fellow. So an internship is after you've graduated from veterinary school, if you'd like a year of advanced training, you don't have to do it. But a lot of people, especially people who want to specialize in equine medicine or surgery, go on and do a one-year internship. So every year we get a new crop of fresh new graduates out of the vet schools and we get to train them, and they get some more experience, and then go on either into private practice or into residency programs. So where did you go to school? Uh, I went to vet school at Cornell University up in New York. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm originally from western New York. Okay. Well, it's a little warmer here. Um, a little a little bit. <laughs> not in the last not that, couple of weeks, though. No, sometimes not that much, though. <laughs> so did you go from, right from vet school to Root and Riddle, or did you have a stopover or two? No, I came, I came right here after I graduated from vet school. I came down here as an intern, and I actually did both the hospital internship and the ambulatory internship, and after that stayed on as an associate veterinarian. Okay. So I, I've never worked anywhere else. 
Oh, really? Oh, cool. And now you're the. Uh, I wanted to ask a little bit before we get into before we get into uh, advances and and the main topic we wanted to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Root and Riddle was this only the second sponsor actually for the 2010 World Equestrian Games, and you guys are not too far from the park, a couple miles. Um, mm-hmm. But you're the official veterinary partner for the games, right? Yep, that that's correct. So what that essentially means for us is. We will be one of the groups of veterinarians providing uh, veterinary service on site to the competitors and their horses, and we will share the responsibility for the quarantine procedures. And we're currently partnering with uh, some other practices in the area to build a facility at the horse park that can be used not only for the World Games, but also for the Rolex three-day event and other equine competitions from now um, all, all the way going forward. Oh, so, so that- that'll be nice to have a place where people can... You know, it's an outpatient clinic. It won't be a hospitalization facility, but it'll be a nice place where veterinarians can work um, in sort of a more controlled environment than just out by the stabling area. Well, and that's great considering, you know, they're they're trying with those new stadiums. They're going to be getting in much bigger shows. So it'll be nice to have that that right there. It it will be very nice. A nice place to, to work that's maybe not outside in the elements some days. Well, that's kind of. I'm glad you guys got that uh, got that deal. It'll be fun for you too. When it, it'll be a lot of work, but it'll be fun for you coming <laughs> into uh, 2010 as well. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really exciting having the World Games here in Lexington. Is I think exciting for everybody, even if they don't have anything to do with the horse business. One of the questions I do have, and I believe I already know the answer to this: Are Doctor Root or Doctor Riddle still working? Uh, both of them are actually. Are they? Yes. Dr. Rood isn't practicing anymore. He handles the administrative side of things at the hospital. As you might imagine, he has a a lot on his plate some days managing a hospital that's this large. And Dr. Riddle is still practicing. He mainly does broodmare work at a couple of um, large thoroughbred farms. But they're they're both still here. Jackie, I think you wanted to ask her. I know you were real interested in what she does, the imaging. I know you... Yes. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about your background and um, what your job entails there. Um, Most of what my job entails is overseeing our diagnostic imaging department. So diagnostic imaging is essentially just different ways that we can look into the horse's body non-invasively, essentially. So it ranges from everything from radiographs, which are x-rays, to ultrasound, to MRI and CT, as well as nuclear scintigraphy. So there's all these different ways in which we can try and figure out what's wrong with people's horses, because if we can't figure out what the diagnosis is, we're probably not going to be able to treat it very well, not having a specific diagnosis. So what I do um, every day is I do a lot of ultrasound examinations, so looking for soft tissue type problems a lot of the time, maybe a bowed tendon, or if a horse comes in with colic, trying to see if we can figure out what exactly the cause of the colic is. I also do a lot of MRI examinations, which is really kind of new and exciting. It's only been used in horses for the past 10 years, and it is just a fantastic way to see structures that we really can't image well with any other modality and gain more information sooner in the disease process to hopefully help horses easier. One example of how we can use that is in cases of what's called navicular disease or caudal heel pain syndrome. In the past, it was really just a description of horses that were lame and had the lameness localized to a particular region of their foot. But using MRI, we can really figure out what exactly is going on. Is it a problem with the deep digital flexor tendon around the navicular bone, or is it a primary problem within the navicular bone itself? 
or is it maybe something not to do with the navicular bone at all? Is it a collateral ligament injury, for example? And so there really is no other good way to do that, is there? Not, not really. There are some other ways, but within the hoof capsule, you really can't use ultrasound except for a very small window to look in there and see what's going on with all of these soft tissue structures. So essentially, MRI and CT are our only ways to look in to, the, to, that, to places like within the hoof capsule. Um, the brain's another area where we really can't look at the soft tissues in the brain, essentially the brain itself, any other way than with MRI and CT. So things like that have been really exciting. That's, that's why I like it, essentially. Cool. And I know one of the main reasons we wanted to have you on is at the end of every year, we take a look back at the year to see what advances or what the top stories were, that kind of thing. What's your thoughts on what were the biggest advances in veterinary medicine in 2008? Well, there's a few, and a lot of them are building on advances from previous years, it's probably fair to say. One area that's probably of interest to most most horse owners is changes in the way that we are going to deworm horses in the future. Uh, a lot of a lot of the internal parasites that horses get have slowly become resistant to the dewormers that are in common use. So there's been some really interesting recent work on how we should be deworming horses differently than we do now. For example, we should probably do more fecal examinations, determine what parasites are in there, and then deworm selectively for those rather than the blanket treatments that have been done a lot in the past. So that works a lot like uh, what they talk about with antibiotics. You become antibiotic resistant. Exactly. It's the same sort of thing. The parasites figure out a way to circumvent our best efforts to get rid of them. Smart worms. I I know. (laughs) Hey, they don't want to become extinct. You can't really blame them for that. So so in doing that, are you then – what? Okay, you say that's changing, the thoughts behind that are changing, but what Mm -hmm. would be the plan of action then if you were enlisting a new method? Well, part of it is, and and I can't really speak specifically to any one person because a deworming program really is best developed by the veterinarian attending those particular horses. But in general, what some of what these new recommendations entail are doing serial fecal examinations on a horse herd or group of horses, determining which horses need to be dewormed. Some do, some don't. And then after that, following up with fecal examinations after they've been dewormed to see, okay, did we get rid of the worms that we were trying to get rid of, or are they still there? And this drug, this group of horses is resistant to that particular drug. So essentially, it it seems a little bit more labor intensive, but it can actually be more cost effective because you are targeting the specific worms. And sometimes you may find well, these horses are all are all pretty good. They don't have an an overly large parasite load and don't need to be dewormed. Now, how tied in is that to horses in a herd versus individuals? I mean, obviously, if they're living on the same land and in the same areas with the same feed, they're going to be more likely to pick up the same things. How often, you know, do you see it being consistent throughout a herd? Um, it's oftentimes a few of the horses within a herd are, you know, are what's called the high egg shedders. Um, I've read a statistic saying that 25% of the horses in a herd produce 80% of the eggs found on the pasture. Uh, there's hmm. always troublemakers, isn't there? I, I know. <laughs> and, you know, they don't, you know, wear, you know, a scarlet W on their forehead for a worm or something like that. You have to find them. <laughs> so we're 
not necessarily changing the medicines. What we're changing is the way we target those medicines. Exactly, because okay. we don't have any new medications, and mm-hmm. it will probably be 10 years or so before we have any new ones. So we need to figure out how to use the medications that we have now to the most long-term success, essentially. Okay, cool. So what else, what else is going on? Um, one other thing that, that's just come on the market, it's also a medication. It's a new type of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory called Equiox. Yeah, and okay. And mm-hmm. in humans, you hear about, you know, COX-1 versus COX-2 and, you know, better on your GI tract and those sorts of things. And that's what Equiox is, is aiming to do, is to provide anti-inflammatory properties to reduce inflammation, but for those horses that were a little bit worried might develop gastric ulcers, for example, or mm-hmm. right dorsal colitis. So that's actually a really great drug to use in young horses or older horses or any horse that you're concerned about, um, you know, using non-steroidal anti-inflammatories in. So that's an, that was an exciting advance. And I assume that tests, so it's not meant to be used for... Right, yes, there's you can't use it to circumvent any sort of regulations or anything like that. Okay. It's it's essentially um, what you would use it to be, um, let's see how to put this. You use it in situations where you would be concerned about using non-steroidal anti-inflammatories in a horse, but you need to use them for the anti-inflammatory properties, but don't want to have potentially as many side effects. Do you think there will be a point, in, a point in time where the Equiox will be um, more commonly used than, say, the Butte or something like that, just because I, I it does have? So um, that eventually over time we'll learn more about which patients really would benefit from receiving Equiox versus a more traditional, you know, phenylbutazone or flinix and megalamine. Are there differences in how well it treats the inflammation or the symptoms that you're trying to help? Not not that I have noticed personally. Um, it's hard to say with horses because it's not like a person you can say, well, did your headache exactly. get 50% better or 25% better, but it seems to be effective on the horses that we've, that we've used them on. And we have certainly seen differences in how phenylbutazone and how flinixin affect different types of problems. So I would expect that there would be slight differences with the Equiox, just as there are with Flinixin and, and Phenylbuzone. Okay. Cool. Now, you, let's get back to one, one other area I wanted to cover with you, and then I know we're going to run out of time here. Um, you had talked about, is it nuclear imaging? Oh, uh, nuclear scintigraphy? Yes. Tell us what that is. What, what that is, it's, it's commonly referred to as a bone scan. What that is, it's a way to image where there are active areas of bone turnover. So, in what do you horses, mean by what do you mean by bone turnover? Uh, bone turnover happens when there's some sort of injury to the bone, so the bone will need to essentially break part of itself down and then build part of itself back up hmm. in response to some sort of injury. So, for example, a stress fracture, that would be an area of really active bone remodeling. Bone turnover is also called bone remodeling. Okay. So what so what we do is we give the horses uh, a pharmaceutical that localizes itself to bone, but it's also tagged with a radioisotope. So it gives off um, essentially radiation, which can be picked up by a gamma camera. And it's a very low level of radiation, but the horses that do receive this do need to stay in the hospital for a couple of days until it's excreted out of their system. But as the bottom line is, we inject the horses with this substance, and then it goes to areas where there's bone turnover. 
So if there's a lot of bone turnover in an area of a stress fracture, that area will, quote-unquote, light up as hotter when we image these horses. So we can find areas where there are fractures that we couldn't find either because the fractures are very, very small stress fractures or because a horse isn't quite lame enough for us to pick up where some of these subtle changes are happening or in areas where, like the pelvis, that are very, very difficult to image with radiographs, for example, just because of the horse's body mass. Nuclear scintigraphy allows us to find these, these sorts of problems. Oh, wow. So, and they stay in the hospital until they stop glowing, and then they're allowed to go home? <laughs> yes. Typically, it typically takes a couple days, but yes, until they stop glowing, they have to stay in the hospital. <laughs> kind of freaks out the owners when they show up and their horse is glowing. Well, you know, fortu- fortunately, they don't actually glow, and we haven't had one turn into the Incredible Hulk or anything like that. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the same isotope that they use for people, so it's, it's pretty safe, generally. Okay, good, good. Have you seen an increase in any one particular thing in, in your area? I know you deal with a lot of, probably a, a majority of thoroughbreds, um, mm-hmm. but have you seen an, an increase in any, any one particular thing in your area over the last couple of years? Something um, that stands out, or is it a little bit of everything? I guess what I guess what really stands out is the increasing availability and use of cross-sectional imaging, that is MRI and CT. It's really come on the forefront over the last two or three years in terms of it being more available more available to horse owners. Is it more, more affordable? Um, it used to be real it's expensive. Get, it's getting a little bit more affordable, but it's still relatively expensive. I don't really know how that will change in the future, but it's definitely becoming more, more available, I think more affordable in general. Because it used to be thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. We did a show on this, actually, the MRI, a couple years ago. Uh And at that time, it was just very expensive. It's it's still not cheap. Yeah. um, You know, by any means. But I think for a lot of people, they they want an answer. So they know, is this something that I can fix? Or, you know, do I need to find a different career for this horse? Or I want to know the specific problem so that I can target my treatment more effectively and not have to do this blanket treatment of trying everything. Yeah, in the long run, it's probably cheaper because you know exactly what the problem is. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And in some horses, we've been able to find things like infections sooner than we would have with other means. And then you're talking about really making a difference in the long-term outcome of the case when you can find an infection sooner and treat it right then before it really gets out of hand. Do you by any chance know if this kind of technology is available in many other veterinary clinics or hospitals? Um, it is available in, in a, I'm not sure exactly how many clinics, but I know that there are a number of universities that have MRI or CT. Um, I think most of the, of the veterinary schools have either MRI or CT, and there are a fair number of private clinics around the country in which it's becoming more and more prevalent. There's another one here in, in Lexington. Um, there's a couple in Oklahoma. Um, and there's also been... There's a standing magnet for horses that it has some advantages and disadvantages, but the standing MRI unit is a little bit more prevalent in terms of where it can be found around the country. Yeah, that's sort of that's a smaller unit, if I remember mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Yep, yeah, it's it's about a fifth the strength of a typical recumbent unit. Right. What about probably some about of the... a about half the price to mm-hmm. uh, to buy it. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they can't be cheap. Oh, I said they're definitely not cheap. All right. Well, I know we're we're 
plane run out of time here, Dr. Garrett. We appreciate you being on today. It's so nice of you on such short notice to join us. Oh, and no problem. We, we do appreciate that. And, uh, uh, you know, it's going to be fun. Well, I'm sure we'll speak again here before the 2010 games. We also do a show called the 2010 Radio Show, which is all about the games. So uh, we'll be probably speaking to somebody over at Root & Riddle uh, be- a couple times before the games actually begin. Great. So, again, we thank you. You have a great holiday. You too. to talk about but we only had a limited amount of time with her so we had to cut it off we'll do definitely be doing a number of vet shows next year so i encourage everybody to just subscribe through itunes like we talked about before so you don't miss an episode uh next week's episode is all about the pony club uh so be sure to tune in as we take a look at uh, today's modern pony club and what's new with them what's been going on over there we're hoping to have the director or somebody high up in the pony club come on with us and we're also hoping i haven't confirmed this yet but we're hoping to get one of the nationally known current pony clubbers on to co-host with us so that'll be a lot of fun i think my wife was in pony club and graduated as an ha so we're we helped out the local Pony Club for years, so I'm kind of partial to Pony Club. Were you ever in Pony Club? No, I wasn't. No? Is it active in your areas? Or an uh, not, no, not no. really. You're 4-H probably up there. Yeah, You're exactly. more of a western yep. area. Yes. You're not too far from where they have the uh, Quarter Horse Congress, actually. Nope. No. So, yeah, so that's a pretty western area. We'll have to get 4 We're going to do a 4-H show next year, just to be fair, too. We'll get 4-H. We'll talk to some 4-Hers. So we want to hear from you. You can uh, contact us. You can send me nasty emails about my opinion about, about the eventing or of the painting, which which I still didn't like, uh, at geeks, G-E-K-S, at horseradionetwork.com, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 270-803-0025. And we would like to thank our sponsors again at easysignsonline.com for coming on. And Jackie, thank you so much for being here and filling in today. Thanks so much for having me. You did great. And uh, we'd love to have you back if you'll come back when one of us can't make it again. Good. Good. And we wanted to mention, too, you can find Jackie's blog at regardinghorses.com. She does a great job and has a heck of a lot of traffic. She's one of the most popular ones in the country, so don't miss it. Okay, until next week, Jackie. When we will be here with the scoop.